Sorry, I rotated the last time and it went out. So I was like, oh man, I gotta get back in it. Good thing Logan has editing skills. Okay. So as you uh, know, Pastor Rick is not here. So um, I get the opportunity, which I'm grateful for, um, to preach. Uh, I've been told in my Sunday school classes that um, they tend to be more like sermons, um, and I've worked uh, to correct that. So this is a sermon, so the gloves are off. <laughs> um, but sometimes, sometimes it's helpful to hear a different voice. You may hear the same things from a different person and it strike you differently. Um, so I pray that that's the case today. Uh, let's pray and we'll um, worship the Lord. <clears throat> Almighty God, our Father in heaven, we come before you as a humble people desiring to learn, desiring to know you, desiring to have an encounter with the living God. Um, we pray that you'd accept our worship today that you would reveal yourself to us by your spirit. Um, for those here who are um, yours, we pray, Lord, that this would be edifying, that this would build up your people uh, to serve you, um, that we might renew commitments, um, not only to you, but also to your bride, the church. We pray, Lord, that uh, those who may be um, yet unconverted in our midst, Lord, we pray that you would convict and that you would uh, draw to yourself um, those that um, may be kicking against the goads. Lord, we ask that you would um, be glorified in the saving of sinners. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I entitled this, for Logan's sake, Are You in Ministry? Are You in Ministry? We are living church history. We are living church history right now. We We've been given the unique opportunity to impact the world that is going through very special circumstances. Our world has never been like this. No other generation has had this. And because we have been enlightened to the truth, because we have the gospel, we don't just have the gospel, we have been given the gospel. We have been given the gospel for a reason. It is our duty. We are commanded to go. Turn to Matthew 28. We'll start there. We're going to bounce around a little bit. Um, but I have a few what we'll call anchor texts, which we'll come back to throughout but Matthew 28, and starting at verse 18, Matthew 28, verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is a familiar, a familiar passage. Perhaps so familiar that we sort of, we're sort of blasé about it. Uh, because you know it so well, you've seen it a thousand times, you've heard it so often before, you're perhaps 
unimpressed or have become indifferent to it over the years. You've reached the passage now, right? You're there. All the pages have stopped turning. Take a look at this passage again. And as you skim over it, yeah, this is a great verse. But it's not just a great verse. It is life. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is Jesus who was crucified, now risen from the dead, speaking right before ascending to heaven. Go, therefore. Therefore, because of this. Because of what? Because I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples. Disciples are learning followers. We're to make learning followers of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, teaching them to what? To observe. That's to obey. Obey what? All that I have commanded you. And behold, behold, pay attention. I am with you. Always. Always, to the end of the age, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. Turn to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5. Again, a familiar passage, right? The ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians starting at verse 18. No, I have the wrong passage. I'm sorry, is it 1 Corinthians? Yeah. All this is from God. Um, no, I think I have the wrong passage. Maybe I'm looking at the wrong passage. <laughs> Second Corinthians five eighteen. Yes, eighteen. All this is from God. who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Are you in ministry? We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We have been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. The only message that reconciles, right, puts into right relationship, the only message that reconciles the lost with God has been placed or deposited with us. Why? that we may execute its purpose. That means we are mandated to preach the gospel, appealing to sinners, begging the lost on behalf of Christ as his ambassadors, with the Spirit of God making his appeal through us. He tells us, I am with you always to the end of the age. What is the appeal? Why are we be- what are we begging of the lost to be reconciled to God? Is there a greater calling? Picture two armies. 
on either side of a battlefield. On one side, a single, solitary man, penniless, feeble, sickly, crippled, weak, withered, naked, dirty, confused. He's muttering blasphemies. He hears the opposition on the other side of the field, and although blind, his fists are clenched and he's ready to fight. And on the other side of the expanse, the host of heaven, an innumerable army of angels, battalions and sections obedient to the voice of the great general and ruler of them all, who has dominion and authority over the entire created order, the universe and all in it. He, that great general and ruler of all, is centered among them, seated upon a white horse, the Lord of hosts, in righteousness, ready to judge and make war, to tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. He is arrayed for battle. He is clothed in a robe dipped in his enemy's blood. His eyes are like a flame of fire. He has a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and a great rod of iron with which to rule them. You know this muttering fool who has set himself against the king of kings will very soon be utterly destroyed. And then you hear, you are my ambassador. Go. Give him my terms of peace. You feel your feet begin to move forward. You step one foot in front of the other. Your pace quickens, and you're focused on the solitary soul you are approaching. And as you reach the other side of the field, where the king's enemy stands, you begin to explain the situation. Excuse me, sir. The offended party is set for war at the other end of the field. Here are his terms of peace. You go on to explain. Sir, the king is willing to forgive you your many blasphemies and all other offenses if you would only turn from them and believe that the king himself will pay the immeasurable cost in fines you have incurred due to your trespasses. You say, believe that the king will strengthen your weakness and feebleness. Believe that the king will cure your sickness. Believe that the king will heal your withered, crippled legs. Believe the king will wash you clean of your filth. Believe that the king will renew your confused mind. Believe that the king will clothe you in fine linen, white and pure. Believe that the king will give you eyes to see and ears to hear. Believe that the king will love you, adopt you, and make you his own heir. You say, these are the terms. Repent and believe, or you will suffer his wrath. If you do not take these terms, there is no mercy for you. You will surely be destroyed for all eternity. Please, count the cost of coming against my Lord. Forsake all and follow after him. Be reconciled to God. He is good, but he's also just. This is the situation. The king of kings has commissioned you. We are, to, we are given the terms of peace. We deliver the terms. And we do all we can to warn the wicked, persuade and convince them of what is really, in truth, the only option. But what about for us? How is it 
that at his command, we refuse to walk across the dormant, inactive battlefield to warn the spiritually blind. The battlefield will soon be flowing with blood to the height of a horse's bridle. We have been given orders. We have been given the only terms of peace there are. We must warn the sinner to turn from their wicked way. Turn to Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel 33. We'll start at the beginning of the chapter. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, And if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity and his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, You shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. You have been made a watchman for this generation of souls. Those that will live forever. The Lord has said, O wicked one, you shall surely die. We must speak to warn the wicked to turn from their way. We are ambassadors for Christ. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. God makes his appeal through us. We must implore people on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Then, there are those that don't quite get the terms of peace correct. They give false terms of peace. They can shout all day, you're going to hell! but cannot tell the sinner how to be reconciled to God. You're a sinner. You need to go to church. That's not the gospel. And that's not the proper response to the gospel. I love Ray Comfort. I do. Love Ray Comfort. I think the good person test is great. Yes. Walk a person through the law. Have you ever lied? Yes then God sees you as a liar. Have you ever taken something that wasn't yours? Yes. Then God sees you as a thief. Have you ever hated someone? Yeah. Then God sees you as a murderer in his law court. Yes. Show them they are not a good person. There is none good but God. Yes, you should use the Ten Commandments to show them that they are a liar, a lustful idolater, a thieving blasphemer, a Sabbath-breaking coveter, a murderer at heart that dishonors their parents. But to then tell them they need Jesus, to receive Jesus, or to ask Jesus in their heart, into their heart, no, those are not the terms of peace. That's not the gospel. 
It's not the proper response to the gospel. Then there are others that perhaps unwittingly lie. They tell the wicked, it's okay. Your sin isn't that bad. God's not really that mad. God has a wonderful plan for your life. You know, they're really in a bad place right now. Let's just love on them. Jeremiah 6, 14 says, They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, where there is no peace. God is at odds with them. Don't tell them everything's okay. I began today saying, we are living church history. We have the unique opportunity, right? very special circumstances. No other generation has had what we're facing. We are in a very trying time. With all that is occurring in our world today, right? unless you've been living in a cave somewhere for the last two years, <laughs> you know that the world is in great upheaval. Things are being shaken. And when God shakes something, only those things that are immovable will remain. Turn to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. Uh, go down to verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he is promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. In this passage... That which cannot be shaken is the kingdom which we will receive. He's not speaking of that which belongs to any material creation. There is, I believe, great opportunity now to reach the lost. I believe there's great opportunity now to serve Christ's body, his bride. This generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls on the earth. Many generations have come and gone. And although our generation is only one among many, it is still our generation. And the only one for which we are responsible. We're not responsible for those who came before us. Each generation of believers must take very seriously our calling our ministry of reconciliation. You're just waiting for the rapture, and you're out? What about all these lost people? We're not responsible for the previous generation, or even the future generation beyond our time. But we will be held liable for this present generation. There are people living around us who don't know Christ. It may be someone you know at work, school, or from some recreational activities. It may even be a member of your own family, the next-door neighbor, or a Facebook friend. Who is going to tell them the good news or gospel of Jesus if you don't? You may be their only chance, their only hope. I believe, I, I believe it was J.C. Ryle, um, he said, we are debtors 
to every man to give him the gospel in the same measure in which we have received it. We've been given much. We are debtors to every man to give him the gospel in the same measure in which we have received it. As an obedient servant of God, we are to lay down our lives for his purposes in our generation. If a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? Philippians 3.8 says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Philippians 3.13 Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also, also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Mark sixteen fifteen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. We should commit ourselves to this. This is a commitment that is worth making. This is a commitment that is worth renewing. Such a life is certainly worth living. We are to be about the work of preaching the gospel and discipling those that repent and believe. It is not enough to simply preach the gospel and then get them to church where they can learn from the pastor. We are all commanded to disciple one another, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded. Again, Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, the crucified one, now risen from the dead, speaking right before ascending heaven, right? Therefore, go therefore and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Turn to Romans 8. Romans 8. And down to verse 28. And we know That for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Time. <laughs> Time. Let's say, let's just say, for the sake of argument, that time began somewhere between six and 10,000 years ago, which is biblical, but we don't have time to flush that out right now. What is six to 10,000 years in light of forever? A blip, a vapor, an indistinguishable moment? What is your 80 or 100 years on this earth? Less than a blip. 
that should, first, humble you. Second, spur you on. Why? Understand, you will live forever. At the resurrection, you will be given a glorified body. We were created to live forever. And we've yet to begin to live. If we're going to live for all eternity, even if you get a hundred years on this earth, that's nothing. You've yet to begin. We are made in the image of God. We are intended to live forever. Death is a standing mockery of the living God. God will not be mocked. The devil knows his time is short. It's a blip. We will live forever. We were created to live forever. We hardly even know what a person is. What will we be? What will we be? Whatever we will be, we are in the very beginning stages of it. For those whom God foreknew before time began, he also predestined before time began to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. In this life, he called them. And those whom he called effectually, right, with effect, they were converted, he also justified in this life. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. As soon as this blip is over, As soon as this blip is over, it's going to be eternity. We have been born again. We have been given the spirit of the living God. We have been given eternal life. We are going to be raised from the dead. We will be given a glorified body. We will be glorified. What does that even mean? We don't even know what we will be like. I hath not seen, right? Now we see through a glass dimly. This blip. Time. You have a job to do. You're on a mission to bring souls to glory. You're not here for you. Everyone will live forever. I was an unconverted fool when in God's unspeakable grace and mercy, he gave me a wife. I did not at the time realize that together we would be linked for eternity. Forever. We're going to be linked for eternity. I will still be Keith in the new heavens and the new earth. She will still be Stephanie in the new heavens and new earth. She will be female, I will be male. We will know each other. Our relationship is going to be very different. It'll be much greater. I did not know that we would be the single most driving force in each other's lives, in our existence. That she would be God's perfect helpmeet to me, for me. Anyone else would have driven me to ruin, to hell. How can I say that? Because God's will, what he decreed, was for me to be converted. He foreknew me. He called me. He justified me. God gave her to be by my side daily through that process. Leading up to that and since. God has allowed her to remain by my side during my sanctification process. He also predestined me to be conformed to the image of his son. There's no person that would have been 
or could have been or would be now better for me. He gave her to me during this ongoing time of sanctification. God is good. Yes, all the time. It is not easy. I'm, a very, I, I'm very difficult to deal with. <laughs> I am still a sinner. More sinful than I should be. And God gave her to me to help me in this. And she is what I need. Not just for that, but for everything in my life. If there was a better person suited for me, God would have given that person to me. And the same goes for her. (laughs) I am perfectly suited for her. Now, most times that's hard for me to fathom, but somehow, (laughs) in God's wisdom, it's true. In fact, God knows exactly what and who you need for his will to be accomplished in your life. If you love God and are called according to his purpose, guess what? All things work together for good. Look around. No, seriously, look around. Look left, look right, turn around, look across the aisle. This is who and what God has in his great wisdom given you for your good. Maybe it's you who need them, and maybe it's them who need you. It's actually both. Isn't that what the church is? The one another's? Doing life together? Romans 8, 28 through 30 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among his brothers, among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. If you are converted today, you will be glorified. And you will be spending eternity with other converted people. You'll know the people that you were in ministry with. I've read this, this C.S. Lewis quote before, but it bears repeating. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most interesting person, most uninteresting person, you can talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you'd be strongly tempted to worship. Or else, a horror and a corruption such as you now, if you now met, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. You have a job to do. You are on a mission of bringing souls to glory. Again, everyone will live forever. We are helping each other to one of two destinations. Are you helping them along to a glorious destination?
For whom are you sacrificing? For whom are you laboring? Self? If you profess to be a Christian, it can't be for you. What are you for? What are you for? You're not here for self. Your strength is not your own. You are meant to, you are called to go and die. Be faithful in every single relationship within your arm's reach. Be faithful in little. Have you been given a spouse? Amen. What are you sacrificing for them? I didn't say what are you begrudgingly giving up or growing bitter over. How are you loving and giving yourself for his or her spiritual well-being? How are you helping them along to eternity? If you are not being faithful in the home, what makes you think the Lord is going to bless you anywhere else? Are you looking to be promoted? If you're not lovingly serving your husband or wife, how do you expect to serve God's people? How do you expect to minister to the church? If life with your spouse is filled with mistrust, frustration, blame, resentment, holding a grudge, slandering them, and growing bitter against them, listen very carefully. If you can't genuinely love and care for the soul who shares your bed, don't tell me you love the soul of the lost sinner on the street, in the park, or at work. If you can't genuinely love and care for the soul that shares your bed, don't tell me you love God. 1 John 4.20 says, You are a liar if you say you love God whom you have not seen and do not love your brother whom you have seen. You're commanded to love your neighbor. Your spouse is your closest neighbor. Sorry, was that not clear enough? If you're more concerned about the time, money, privacy, and our self-interest that you're giving up than the soul in front of you, you're an idolater. You do not love God, and you are in danger of judgment. Turn from your sin and serve the living God. I ask again, how are you being spent How are you using yourself up? How are you sacrificing yourself for your children? Or grandchildren, for that matter? Be faithful in every single relationship within your arm's reach. Be faithful in a little. Are your grandchildren or children a source of frustration and anger? Children are a blessing. You have been given a stewardship for which you will give an account. Again, God has given you exactly what you need. These children are perfectly suited for you. Not as a punishment, but yes, perhaps to sanctify you. To show you your sin to make it blindingly obvious to you where you need to repent of sin and then believe accordingly. Sorry, was that not clear enough? If you're more concerned about your time, money, privacy, or self-interests that you're giving up, then the precious souls in front of you, you are an idolater. You do not love God and you are in danger of judgment. Turn from your sin and serve the living God. Now be careful, children. 
It goes both ways. You have also been given the parents and or grandparents perfectly suited for you. Again, not as a punishment, but yes, perhaps to sanctify you, to show you your sin, to make it blindingly obvious to you that you need to repent of sin and then believe accordingly. If your father decides to drive from Florida to see you and your family, this can serve to expose possible sinful worry and anxiety. (laughs) God knows exactly what and who you need for his will to be accomplished in your life. God may see fit to allow you to go two years without a permanent job in order to expose your lack of faith or to increase your dependency on him. Or perhaps you will never know exactly why God chooses to do what he does or how he does it. It does not change the fact that we are to be faithful. Be faithful in little. There are soldiers that have served their country well, going above and beyond the call of duty, having risked their lives, having been wounded, and even given their lives in sacrifice for their brother-in-arms on the battlefield. This is honorable. I in no way mean to diminish their sacrifice. But, what is their reward? They're recognized on TV in front of cheering crowds by heads of state. They are given the silver star, the purple heart, the medal of honor, a ribbon, and a piece of metal. Even a folded flag. And they sit in a case and collect dust. Look for opportunities to serve without recognition. Serve out of love for God and love for those who God has miraculously saved. Be faithful in little. Take out the trash. Sweep the floor. Install a toilet. Weed whack. Carry an 800-pound sofa bed up and down three flights of stairs in 96-degree heat. Provide a meal. Make your eighth cheesecake this month. (laughs) Give good biblical counsel to a struggling sister for three hours. Listen intently to a story you've heard a hundred times before because he thinks he's telling you for the first time about working on sheet metal in Saudi Arabia. Not so... You can ask, did you see what I did? Not for a pat on the back or for the pastor or others to say, boy," But because it truly is our reasonable service to our king. You may never receive a ribbon or a piece of metal. Your family may never receive a folded flag. Instead, You may serve, sacrifice, and spend yourself in virtual obscurity for the bride of Christ in some podunk town. And one day, the king of the universe will recognize you in front of all the angels and every human who has ever lived, saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. Your strength is not your own. You have this and everything else as a gift, as a talent, not to bury, but to spend for eternity. That is an investment. You are to go and die. Be faithful in little. Our numbers here may never grow into the hundreds. Okay. But we may grow spiritually. Be faithful to the small, precious flock that God has brought, that God has given, and that God loves. What are you for? Be salt, be light, be yeast. 
God can start an avalanche of grace with you. Some of you are saying, not me. Where's your faith? Not faith in yourself. We have a great God. Your life is not supposed to be easy. If it is, you're doing something terribly and dangerously wrong. Quit complaining. Humble yourself under the the almighty hand of God. And be faithful. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your immeasurable grace. Lord, may we be faithful to this generation that you've given us. May we warn the wicked that we might see them converted that we might spend eternity with them, serving you, that we might save our own soul, that we may not neglect your command, that we may not neglect your commission, that we may not neglect those that are within arm's reach, You have given them to us for us to be faithful to you. We love you, Lord. And our desire is to use what little precious time we have left in complete devotion and service to our King. In Christ's name, amen.